Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut. And I'm Ara. Every week, we interview thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics, or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales. We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever, yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. It's www.saleslabs.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hi everyone, uh, welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today I have a really cool guest. Uh, if you're in sales, you know about him, you saw him on LinkedIn. Uh, he has, I think, over 40,000 followers, so he's quite a, quite a big voice in there. Um, and yeah, so everyone, uh, welcome. Uh, Scott Lee's on the podcast, so welcome on the podcast, Scott. Hi there, thanks for having me. Excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you too, actually. So it's uh, uh, the way we actually... Uh, you know, like got into thinking of doing this podcast is, is I was posting here and there. I don't think, and, and you say, Hey man, I like what you're doing. Just like, why don't you invite me on the podcast? And I say, yeah, why not? So I was super happy that you proposed that because I, I didn't kind of dare. I thought like this guy's too, too big of, is too big of, a, is like a big shot, but actually you were just like super, uh, uh, super easy to approach. So, so I think that that's really cool. So if you can start maybe, so people who listen to the podcast tend to be not so, uh, avid listeners of the uh, podcast from the US. So if you can maybe tell us about you, your experience and, and where yeah. you're from. Sure. I, uh, <clears throat> I grew up in Northern California in the, in the US, um, a couple hour drive from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, got into sales relatively late in the game, actually. I, I never had a job until I was 27 years old. Um, prior to that, I had gone to school and I played four sports in high school and two sports in college. I, I played soccer and tennis at a pretty high level of uh, university and then played some uh, soccer beyond that and then went to grad school. And I actually got extremely ill when I was 23 years old and spent the next four years in the hospital uh, fighting for my life. Mm -hmm. I had nine total surgeries and, um, got addicted to opioid medication in the process and had to kick that. So really late to the, to the game, in my mind at least, as a 27-year-old kind of getting involved in sales. Um, <clears throat> figured it out, luckily for me, pretty quickly and got into sales leadership. And I, I spent uh, the better part of the last two decades building and scaling early stage sales organizations and advising and consulting uh, similar companies uh, all across the U.S. as well as uh, Berlin and Vancouver and Toronto and uh, London and you know Australia, um, some kind of around a little bit around the world um, as well. Um, so I've been a VP of Sales uh, six times. Five of those companies grew to north of a hundred million dollar plus valuations. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I started my own consulting business. Uh, and then a year and a half ago, I started a mini sales conference called Surf and Sales, where we take 20 people at a time to Costa Rica or Mexico or Nicaragua, places like this, and, and talk 
and train uh, about sales and business and leadership as well as do some surfing and, and have a little bit of a vacation. Um, I wrote a book uh, a year and a half ago called Addicted to the Process, which did really well on, on Amazon. Um, so that's kind of what I've, what I've been doing, you know, for, for a while now. And you forgot you have Surf and Sales Podcast also. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Surf and Sales <laughs> Podcast. Uh, we started that just this year. Um, we released about 40 episodes already. So we've been really, really busy, um, you know, interviewing people from around the world and talking business and sales and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah thanks that, for reminding me. Knowing the, um, how complicated it is to actually release a podcast and the work it, it is, like 40 episodes in such a short time is insane. Like it's, it's really, it's really cool what you're doing. And uh, that really, it's, really, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. And, but I really like, you know, is that the way you, you, so for, in my case, for example, we, we do, a, we did a little intro with some kind of music and everything. And in your case, when I like, it's like, it's like there's Richard saying, Scott, are you recording? Yeah. Okay. Hey everyone. And, so go, yeah. and it's, it's pretty cool because it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's no fluff. It's really like you go to the right yeah. thing. And for me, I can tell you when I drive to, to the office in the morning or when I go and, and go on site on customer, with customers, I just listen, listen to a lot of them. And the one with Beck, where she talks about her definition of MQL and, and there was like really insanely valuable. So it's, it's yeah. great content you're putting out there and really like it. So yeah. Yeah, thanks. yeah we've, we've been trying hard to book, um, you know, as many really smart people as we, as we can and, I'm, I'm really like, a, I'm not a fancy person, you know, so I don't have like a studio with fancy microphones and, you know, music intros and outros and all this stuff. I'm like, fuck that. Let's just, you know, let's just have a conversation and hopefully people are interested in what everybody has to say. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Good. And so, so can you maybe um, tell me a bit more about the six, uh, like the six roles you did as VP of sales? Like uh, how you, because for a lot of people, it's kind of hard, you know, they start in sales as SDRs or BDRs and everyone wants to climb to, to VP of sales. So what was the case for you? How did you get to, to go quickly to VP of sales and do that six times? Well, one of the things that I always advise people to do is <clears throat> if you want to move up the ranks really quick like that, I, I think the best thing to do is to go to very early stage organizations. If you go try to rise up the ranks at a huge company like, Microsoft, or De the Dells and Oracles, even Salesforce now of the world. There's just too many people there who have been there longer than you or have more experience and that type of thing. Um, but if you go to an early stage company that's just starting out, you know, you have the opportunity to be one of the first SDRs or one of the first AEs there. And if you do quite well, you can move up pretty quickly into a sales manager role if, if you're so inclined. Um, and then, you know, before you know it, you're, you're in a leadership role. And if you wanted to, you never have to go back again to being an individual contributor. And so, and so that's what I did. I, you know, I, I, after being in the hospital and kind of losing four years of my life like that, I, I knew that I had to make up for lost time. And I knew that my income was way behind where, you know, I had hoped it would have been. Uh, and so I purposely got into sales because it was the only thing I could think of where I could, you know, make up for as much money as I could based on how well I did and how hard I worked. And, and I didn't want to be, I didn't fancy myself, um, you know, a frontline worker. Like I, I fancied myself being in a leadership role. And so I thought, 
where can I go that gives me the best chance to move up as fast as possible? And so I went to a super early stage startup and I was only an individual contributor for like seven months before I got moved into a sales manager role. Um, and before you know it, I was managing 15 people and then I was opening two offices and had 70 people underneath me and, you know, and I, I never looked back. And every stage after that first kind of head of sales gig, I always went back to early stage companies every mm -hmm. single time. So my, my whole career has been spent taking companies from zero to like 25 million ARR, nine figure plus, you know, valuations. My last company is doing extremely well. Um, and I just found that that is like the sweet spot that I really love, you know, this, this early stage growth kind of period. Um, and so that's the advice that I, that I give people. If you want to move up quick, take a chance on yourself and, and, and go to some early stage organizations. And that, that's, that's also like, that's a point of view I really share. My story was something a bit similar. So I started my career in B2B sales. I mean, in tech sales, I would say in a company called Applause, which is like a crowd testing company based in Boston. And they were quite, quite big in the US. They just had opened the office in Germany and I kind of took over the French market. And within, I, I think like, yeah, six months, I just got promoted. And then I, I told my boss, I said, okay, when, when do I have a team? He said, oh man, you have to wait a bit. And I said, no. It's just like, tell me what I have to do to get it to hire someone. You say, okay, you just have to like reach these targets. Okay, done. And, uh, and so that's, that's something that, yeah. that went well. But for a lot of people, they have like, especially in Berlin, you have like uh, hundreds of positions of head of sales that are ready to be filled. And there's like as many positions as there are shitty businesses. So you have a lot of businesses that are really bad ideas. And what would be your advice to someone who's starting there um, on, on picking a good business? Do you have any... Any clue there? Well, I mean, I, I think that you, I think that there's value sometimes in, in going to a business that might not be the best in order for you to get experience in the role. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that one, I mean, one of the businesses that I picked kind of in the, almost the middle of my career you know, was a bad decision, ended up being a bad decision on my part, but I still learned, learned from it. Um, so I, I think it's most important to just, to just go for it and chase down the role that you want. That being said, um, I think, I think you've got to look for a, a product that solves real pain for somebody. I think you got to look for something that is like a must have, as opposed to a, a nice to have, right? If that makes yeah. sense. Like, my potential customers need to use this product all day, every day versus, Oh, this would be cool for them to have. Yeah. Um, and if you can find something like that, you know, that can be really, really powerful. Um, I think you need to look at the total addressable market, mm -hmm. right? Meaning, you know, if there's only a couple thousand potential customers versus a million potential customers, the organization with a million potential customers might have a, a higher ceiling and, and might be, you know, end up being able to be worth more. Um, I think you're looking for whatever kind of relative stability that you can find. So if the company has received, you know, funding, then that provides a level of, of uh, security versus a company that maybe is just bootstrapping and, and, you know, doesn't have that capital to, uh, to play with. Um, so those are some of the things that I, 
I think about. And then I, I think you really need to know yourself. You've got to be really self-aware. So for example, you know, I would say that a lack of patience is one of my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So for me, I know that about myself. So I don't put myself in positions that demand tons of patience. So if I was going to go try to sell something that had like a two or three year sales cycle, like whatever that might be, right? I would go nuts because I don't get any kind of enthusiasm or, or fulfillment from that. I, I, I need like fairly consistent rewards and, and like wins, right? Yeah. And so I, I've spent a lot of time in transactional and SMB and mid-market sales environments because you, it moves faster. The velocity mm -hmm. is higher and I get that, you know, adrenaline kick from closing more deals. Yeah. So I think people should know their personality and, and go for environments that, that suit them a little, a little better. Yeah. How do you define transactional actually? What's the, what's your threshold there? Well, you can, you can define it based on price point. So, mm -hmm. you know, anything from, um, I don't know, let's say a hundred dollars a month to, um, you know, a thousand dollar a month kind of okay. products. Yeah. Uh, these are environments where the sales cycle is very quick. Um, you know, one to three or four calls, maybe, mm -hmm. you know, two week kind of sales cycles, um, where closing, you know, a deal a day over the course of a month is realistic, if not, mm -hmm. not common. Um, and then, you know, SMB mid market, it, it, you can get maybe eight to 10 deals every single month. And the price mm -hmm. point is closer to, um, you know, couple thousand dollars a month yeah. right like maybe 10 to fifty thousand kind of contract value mm -hmm. um and those kind of environments are good for people like me who you know don't want to wait you know I, I, i'm looking for like instant gratification and yeah level you know yeah and actually that's uh that's something i will also share so for me i've been trained into a a bit above transactional so deal size you know from 50 to 100k and i really love these kind of deals because it's um it's a bit more um complex and there's more kind of a of a so there's more calls to do and and so i find it also very interesting because you can really build a relationship i did a bit of enterprise and i absolutely hate it because for me it's just like they make a business decision and and often it's like oh yeah we want to do the business decision and uh i did that once with like a french tv uh, channel and after 12 months, we managed to sign the contract. So like the urgency of the problem yeah. we're solving, you know, it's like, there's no problem because you can wait, you can afford waiting for 12 months. So it was really, I absolutely hate enterprise for these kind of things. And whenever, you know, they, they start building relationship and they put me in front of a procurement guy, I'm like, are you serious? Like, are you really doing that to me now? So it's, um, yeah, it's, I, I prefer like a bit above transactional, but not to move to enterprise, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're built Similarly, you know, yeah. I, I have a hard time waiting and, you know, I don't like these environments where it takes months upon months to yeah. do what feels really simple to me. Like if it makes sense, great, let's go. If it yeah. doesn't, then just tell me no. So, um, and, and a quick tip I would give actually to figure out if you have no experience, what, where should you go? That's I think Richard is Harris. Uh, so Richard Harris, your, your friend is asking that very often is like, uh, how fast do you eat? You know, like, are you a fast eater or not? And if you're a fast eater like me, I'm like, I can really eat, like you've never seen someone eat that fast. You're more for like, uh, like a constant reward and you're interested in kind of having milestones, not really like uh, staying for long and uh, 
And so I say, if you, if you like to eat slow, maybe you're good for enterprise. So that's the, that's the proxy you could use, I'd say. That's good. I've never heard him say that, actually. I'm going to have to ask him about that. That's, that's awesome. in one of your podcasts, actually. He, he says Is it? I don't like remember you saying that. That's and, great. Uh, yeah, I guess you, you've known each other for so long that you don't even listen to each other anymore. Yeah, I just black him. I just yeah. black him out. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Actually, I, I'd be super interested to know about uh, like the story of you guys. So you, you always seem to be together doing things. So how did you guys get to know each other and, and build this kind of relationship you have? Yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting story, actually. So <clears throat> when I was in college, I was playing, I played tennis as well as soccer. <clears throat> and um, one of my college tennis teammates, this guy named Tony Marshall, um, after college, he ended up working for a company where Richard was the VP of sales. Mm -hmm. And when I first started to get healthy, I had said to some of my friends, like, hey, you know, I think I want to go into sales. And so Tony tried to give Richard, like my name, and I had no work experience or nothing. And, and Richard was like, dude, this guy's never done anything, like no way. So Richard refused to even like let me interview there. Fast forward like three years, and I was in a VP of sales role, and <clears throat> Richard had lost his job and, and was unemployed. And Richard asked Tony, hey, who do you know that, you know, might be looking for a sales leadership. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a job. And so Tony calls me and is like, Hey, I have this former boss named Richard. And so I ended up hiring the guy. Yeah. Who wouldn't give me the time of day for an interview <laughs> three years prior. And so Richard came to work for me. I was a VP of sales. He was the sales manager. Uh, and then he moved into like VP of customer service at this company. Um, and then we just formed a friendship and our wives became friends and our kids are friends. Um, and so, you know, we've just stayed close over the years and we were actually, our families were together in Costa Rica when I had the idea to create this business called surf and sales and, um, kind of roped him into it. And, you know, we've been doing that for a while now and he obviously is on the surf and sales podcast with me. But our, our consulting businesses are, are completely separate. You know, he yeah. does his thing and, and I do my thing. Um, it's really just the serpent sales stuff that, um, you know, we're in together and, and overlaps. But, you know, we're, we're good friends. So, you know, you see us sometimes at the same shows and, you know, chiming in on each other's yeah. content and things like that. Okay. Okay, I see. And so can you maybe talk a bit more about serpent sales? Uh, like uh, do interviewing you on the podcast actually land a free spot there or because that seems to be a really good place to, to, to go. So can you maybe tell me about the, the idea you had and, and why you're doing that? Yeah, the, the, the idea came because I, I have a real problem with, um, you know, an event that is designed, allegedly designed to create, networking opportunity and learning opportunity, but there's a hundred thousand plus people running around, you know, San Francisco or Berlin or, or whatever. <clears throat> I just don't think that that is conducive to learning. It's certainly not conducive to a, a learning environment and a networking experience for me. I, I'm, I'm much more introverted than extroverted. I don't want to be around a huge crowd like that. I don't want to go someplace as a VP of sales 
and walk around the floor and feel like every single person there is trying to pitch me and sell me on something. Like I've got a target on my back, right? Because I'm everybody's favorite prospect. I don't, <clears throat> that's not my, that's not my thing. And so <clears throat> I, I thought, how come nobody, you know, just has built a conference that is more intimate, right? And, and more of a experience and more a combination of a vacation as well as a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. And why does it have to be so big? Why can't it just be a finite contained number of people all the time? And then the last part was, you know, I, I don't want to go to the same old places all the time, mm -hmm. right? Like if you had a choice to go to an event in Berlin or in Costa Rica, like which one sounds more exciting? You know, if I have an event, <laughs> a choice to go to an event in San Francisco or, you know, some other cities that are even less exciting to go to in America versus a beach in a beautiful tropical location, like where do you mm -hmm. want to go? It's, a, it's an easy choice for me, right? Yeah. Plus, plus, I'm a surfer, so I was also thinking, like, how can I figure out a way to combine some of my passions and, like, work and play at the same time? <clears throat> and so that, that's where the idea came from. And so, you know, we, we limit the audience to uh, 19 people. I rent three houses right on the beach, right on the water in Costa Rica. Um, and hire locals to cook and, and clean and give surf lessons and drive us, you know, to and from the airport and around town. And so it's really like an all-inclusive experience once you get there. And, you know, we do surfing activities in the morning and then eat breakfast. And then from like 9.30 to 12.30, you know, we do a couple sessions on, on sales tips and, um, you know, management tips and, and business training and, mental health in sales and whatever different issues, you know, we feel like are important and then take a break for lunch and then we do some more stuff in the afternoon and then we go surf again late in the afternoon and then everybody gets together for cocktails and dinner and, you know, a lot of the learning and power of the experience is just in the conversations that you're having with the other attendees, you know, yeah. you're with 18 other people, 19 other people for five days mm -hmm. who all want to learn who are all really good at what they do, whatever their role is, who have unique experiences, who come from different geographies. I had people from America, Canada, and Switzerland come to the last event, you know? And so you're just sharing constantly and learning constantly. And when you walk away, you're really walking away with like 19 really strong connections, if not friends. Yeah. Uh, we've had people close deals while they're there from each other. We had somebody recruit somebody away from the company and now they work for a different attendee of the event. And, and the past attendees have become this, you know, community. And so we've, I've, I'm kind of building this surf and sales alumni community where we all, you know, communicate and help each other out. And so that's, that's really what it's all about and, and where the idea came from. Okay. I see. Yeah. That's, I think that's, that's really, really exciting to see the, you know, this kind of, um, as you said, it's more content. And I also heard is like uh, the attendees are also doing a lot of the content. So if you come there, you can kind yeah. of share your learnings. And, um, but do you see, you said you don't want, like, you don't really like when it's big conferences in big cities, but do you plan on kind of growing this event or doing more of events or you just want to keep it like, like it is? Yeah, right my, now? My, my, my growth plan for the event involves just doing more of them, not okay. making each one larger. So 
in 2018, we did one event. In 2019, we did two. And in 2020, we have three events planned. So we have this one coming up in 10 days in Costa Rica. Yeah. And then in September, we're going to do two different ones um, in the first couple of weeks of September. And uh, I think two different parts of Mexico, southern Mexico, is where we're going to go. Where, so, where in Mexico do you want to go? Uh, there's a place called Sayulita and another place called Troncones. It's okay. in southern, Me southern Mexico on the Pacific side, nice. Pacific Ocean side. So, you know, the, the growth will come from, um, you know, doing more uh, events, right? And I, I'm not trying to do, you know, a hundred events over the course of a year. I think if yeah. I can get to a place where I'm doing, you know, one every quarter, that would be really amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe my dream world is I would be able to do one a month and just kind of have a surf trip once a month <laughs> over the course of the year. That would yeah. be pretty awesome. Um, but we'll see, you know, it, it's the main purpose of it is not to, um, you know, make as much money as, yeah. as possible. This is just like this, it's a fun side business and, you know, experience and relationship building kind of. Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, my point of view on money is that it's just, uh, it comes after, you know, you provide value, you provide community and, uh, and and it's just like at some point that that's how we measure you know uh, that's how we measure a lot of things in life money but like that should not be a goal it's just like when you provide value you kind of lens there and and that's that that's the thing and also for surfing sales there's a really cool spot in France called Biarritz where there's like yeah. huge waves so I've if you there. yeah you've been there so if you want to yeah. organize something in summer there like yeah. in Europe and do so I'm I would be super happy to kind of head there I, I've never done that's surf. Awesome. I've I, I've been asked um, a few times to to host an event in uh, in Spain, like in San Sebastian kind yeah. of area, uh, in Portugal. Uh, I forget the the area, but on the southern coast of Portugal. I've been to Biarritz. Is that how you pronounce it? Biarritz in French, we say yeah. Yeah, that I've been there uh, before, and I could see having an event there. So um, we'll see. I got to You got to You'd have to help me you know, with my European connections and, and network yeah. to make sure enough people uh, were able to come, but that would be a lot of fun. I think that would be no, no problem because there's a lot of people who are, you know, Europe is also a big market and uh, yeah. there's a lot of people who are um, kind of trying to get, you know, we have shit tons of conferences here. We have SAS Talk, we have uh, SAS Talk Europa. It's the same thing. You go there, everyone's trying to pitch st stuff. So the problem is the same, you know? Yeah. And um, I think that would be, this, you know, I, I know a lot of companies that have already done offsites there in Biarritz, like surf lessons. So mm. it's very friendly for this kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So you heard it. You heard it here first. Some sometime in the next couple of years. Yeah. Go. <laughs> that that would be super cool. But yeah, and, uh, and then you have Morocco also, which is pretty close. Could be also amazing. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's a lot of uh, of great places. Um, so on the, um, y y there was one thing that, that struck me in what you, 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 say you create as a content. It was from Amy. She kind of uh, quoted you. It's like that you were building employment security. So can you maybe share a bit about this concept and what it means and how to do that? Yeah, I think every, <clears throat> to me, everybody talks about and is worried about job security. Um, you know, my parents, for example, when I first got into sales, thought it was a horrible decision because, <clears throat> you know, you could lose your job at any, 
at any point in time, like if you don't do well, right? And yeah. there's no security and no stability there. Um, and I, I just realized over the years that, you know, job security is bullshit. There's no such thing as job security for anybody. You see large corporations all the time laying off hundreds, if not thousands of workers <clears throat> or companies completely going out of business, right? We had car manufacturers in America in the last decade who laid off God knows how many folks. Yeah. We have big, huge companies like Dell who just randomly will announce, you know, 5,000 job cuts in order to save money to keep their stock price high. So I just was thinking like, dude, don't give me this bullshit about job security, you know, and people worry about like, people worry about job security with early stage companies. It's like, mm -hmm. well, you know, I could go to this early stage company and what if it doesn't work? And then I, you know, I have to find another job. And I'm like, well, you could go to a big company and just get laid off. So what's the difference? Yeah. So to me, it was a, it's about creating employment security and employment security is about the skills that you have that make you marketable and able to go get another job. And right now, I think salespeople uh, are one, have 100% employment security. You know, yeah. if, if I lost my sales job today, you know, I might be disappointed, but like, so what? I have all this experience and there's somebody somewhere needs something sold, right? Yeah. They still do. You, yeah. can't, you can't replace the human connection yet in sales with, with AI. It's, it's, we're, not, we're not there yet, all right? Yeah. The robots are not smart enough yet to, to mimic and pick up on, you know, human emotion and tonality and things like that. So if, if you are a salesperson, you have employment security, right? Mm -hmm. And the only job security comes from you doing really, really well at your particular role. And sometimes even that's not enough. You yeah. know, it, you could be the best salesperson in the company, but if nobody else can figure it out, you yeah. might lose that, that job. So to me, it, you know, job security is bullshit and people should be focused on employment security and developing their skills to a point, a point where if this particular job goes away, it doesn't matter because I can go get another one yeah. and maybe that next one is even bigger and better. Yeah. I really like that concept. You know, it's uh, in Europe, especially we like, there's a lot of like, you know, in the U S is very special because you you can give your two weeks or be given your two weeks all the time at any job, at any stage, Europe is really more protective of people. But then we have this kind of mentality for a lot of people. Um, like the, the job markets are changing really fast in Europe. And so it's becoming a bit more like in the U S and so we're losing this kind of protection we used to have. And people are like, really like, oh my God, that's terrible. So they are striking. They're, France, for example, is a big example. But what they don't know is it's like, a, it's a super competitive market. And you can either choose to strike and put your energy in that and asking the government to save your ass, or you can create this kind of employment security, as you said. And for yeah, me- Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, a way of empowering yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right? And taking control of your own life and your own career. I'm, I'm not going to leave it in the hands of, you know, somebody else. And yeah. You know, maybe maybe companies uh, in Europe or in France are, are have more freedom and flexibility to let go of em employees now. But guess what? Like, I've never moved on from a job that didn't open up a better door for me. Yeah. The next the next time. Exactly. You know, and, and I think you just got to reprogram and reframe your mindset and outlook on these things. And if you're able to do that, um, 
you know, a, a lot of good, a lot of good can come of it. Exactly. And it's never been so easy, you know, sort of accessing knowledge for free and you can really learn everything. You know, it's, it's really easy to kind of get the first idea and then get in touch with people. So for me, that's really, I came to, uh, when I started my, my company doing, doing sales training and, and, and consulting, I was like, the real risk is to stay employed for someone because at some point things will go wrong. And right now I can sell pretty much anything or, you know, I, I can sell for them and make them rich. Or I can create my own business and sell for me and, and you know, like, like really work for my own interests and no one will fire me. My customers will fire me, but guess what? I can find another one tomorrow. So that's, that's, that's really for me that that's the reflection I, I, I was doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what yeah. I like to do and how I like to see it. Yeah. And that, that's, you know, that's the true, the true spirit of, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, I, I you realize that much sooner in your life, in your career, you know, than, than I did. Um, you know, I spent 16 years basically working for other people and I got tons of good experience, you know, made a mark, um, done, done well financially, have a lot of equity in companies that, you know, hopefully <clears throat> pays off and, and, and brings me rewards. But, you know, when you're ahead of sales, you know, you might own one to two and a half percent of the company. So if you do the math on that, if you, if you turn a company into a hundred million dollar exit acquisition before taxes in America, you know, you're making one or $2 million. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm not, you know, complaining saying that's not a lot of money, but when you compare that to the founder, who's making 30 million yeah. or 25 million, the Delta there is just so massive, you know, yeah. and as you get older and, and go through this experience more and more often, you start to think to yourself, you know what? Uh, I'm just as capable of doing yeah. this as, as these particular people. Right. And so, you know, I, in October of last year, I cut all the cords and I'm a hundred percent in business for myself now. And so, you know, I'm, I'm realizing some of the same things, you know, that, that you are, you know, how good it feels to um, be building something for, you know, yourself and yeah. all of the, yeah, all of the pressure is on you, but you know, I, if this thing fails, I like that it's my fault and nobody else's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and, and I think it's um, like, I see it, you know, it's like, it's, it's really like for me when I started, you know, I was just like, uh, went well, got some good business and I was just more as a consultant doing like a jack of all trade in sales. And, you know, it's a journey now. I see what I'm doing. It's so different from what I was doing before. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure and everything, but I just love this, this kind of thing. Cause you know, right now I'm in a situation where here it's kind of a beginning of the year. I, I kind of pivoted my model where I'm working more as a coach and trainer and kind of packaging my offerings. And right now it's, it's a phase where, it's tough, you know, because you have to sell a product and you're not, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to implement a CRM here and then train a team there. I'm just focusing on what I'm good at. But this pressure forces me to kind of find solutions. So I'm doing cold, cold outreach all the time now and trying stuff. And without this pressure, I would never have, have tried it because, you know, I would be like, okay, I don't need it. So I really like that. And also on, on I think something you, you're like ranting about is about the, tenure of head of sales, like the risk of, you know, you have like one or two quarter to make a difference. Yeah. So the risk you have as a head of sales for the reward you have is often like, it's not really fair. So I'd be interested to have you ranting about that right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's not fair. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's been that way for a long time. And I think finally there are a few folks, <clears throat> myself included, who are starting to speak up about it. You know, um, there's no other role that, um, you know, is held to such a high standard. You know, if, if a product team is late on a couple releases of features or the features are buggy, uh, I could not tell you the last time I saw any of those people lose their job over it. Mm -hmm. You know, if the marketing team doesn't deliver enough MQLs or SQLs or get enough exposure, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a VP of marketing, you know, get fired for that. But if the head of sales doesn't hit their numbers for sometimes a couple months or one quarter or maybe two quarters, they're gone yeah. straight away. And, you know, in, in a world where everybody wants to talk about extreme ownership, like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like I should have hit my number, but so many people in, in my previous roles of VP of sales, like you're asking me to go sell stuff that doesn't fucking work. Like literally the product is buggy and the customers come back with feedback. Like, Hey, you told me it was going to do X, Y, Z. And like, it's not doing that. Right. Or, you know, customer success, like, wasn't able to connect with this customer and help them out and get trained and onboarded or something like that. It's like, well, that's, that's not my domain as a salesperson. There's, there's nothing I can do about that. Right. But I, so I have a 15 to 18 month, you know, kind of life expectancy. Like that's the average tenure of a VP of sales right now, 15 to 18 months. Yeah. That's insane. It's insane. It takes about six months to even really figure out what the hell is going on. And I know, I know people who've, not made it out of that stage before right yeah. and no other role or department um has that like that high of of table stakes and i just think it's ridiculous and completely and completely unfair um and i'm and i'm i'm hopeful that you know more and more people start to speak out about it uh and and it gets a little more balance and so if you had to give the um let's say i'm a founder and I want to just raise like a series A or something like that, want to hire a head of sales, what would be like the, the advice and the kind of, you know, the, 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 the time you would need to actually decide if you need to move on or keep this person? Well, <clears throat> there's, there's two schools of thought. The first school of thought is you bring in somebody who's kind of been there, done that before, and is yeah. a little bit more of a, a known commodity. Um, that person's going to cost a little more. They're going to be a little more expensive, but they should, you know, have a sales process and a sales model. They should be networked and be able to recruit well. Um, and then the flip side of that is you go a little more junior and you give somebody their kind of first crack, their first shot at it. They'll be a little bit more cheaper. One could argue that they'll be a little hungrier, you know, maybe, maybe care, um, a little bit more because it's like, oh, this is my, this is my big moment. Like I can't screw mm -hmm. this up. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, the risk is maybe they don't know, you know what they don't know. Right. Exactly. And yeah. If they don't have a good mentor or, you know, friends or former colleagues that they can lean on for advice, um, you know, they could be in trouble. So I, I've seen yeah. both of those work. I, I've seen both of those not work before. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think, it's really important to, I just think it's really important for a founder to find somebody who's willing to get their, their hands dirty. Yeah. You know, I think the worst thing you could do is hire somebody with a ton of experience at the early stage 
who doesn't want to go in and make calls, who doesn't want to figure out the sales process and model and just like straight away just wants to manage people only. Yeah. The you, dashboard can't that. you can't do that at the very beginning. Yeah. Right. Like if you hired me, you know, today for your business, um, I got to go in and get my hands dirty. I've done this six times before. I easily could be somebody who's like, you know what? I'm going to hire people to do that. Let me look at some spreadsheets. I'll put together a nice model for you. I'll do this kind of thing. Yeah. That's not what you need in the early stage of a startup. You need somebody who's willing to do the dirty work. Yeah. So if you can find somebody with experience who's also willing and able to do the dirty work for a little while, um, you know, I think that's probably your best bet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's like, if you find, you say, hey, I found someone at uh, Salesforce that wants to work with me. Often it's, you know, if the guy was a VP sales or something, bad idea because they know how to do dashboard, do politics, yeah. but they don't know how to get their hands dirty. So yeah. uh, they're just yeah. unwilling to do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. So I, th I think in Berlin, especially because there's, there's a huge, like really it's if, you know, the, you can't find any head of sales. Like there's a huge demand, but no offer. So like an advice I would give um, is like, I think it's, it's, you know, the second option you said, take someone who's hungry, who has a bit of experience selling, who's willing to do the, the dirty work. And in terms of mentoring, how can they actually yeah. they get that? They can listen to this podcast. So, because there's going to be yeah. like a love of advice. And, uh, and for me, that's also one thing I'm trying to do is like bring some knowledge that is, you know, in the US, I think you're five to 10 years more advanced in sales than we are in Europe. So I think there's so much knowledge we can take, share it there and try things. And, you know, you try different approach and, and, and you know that worked like maybe five years ago in the US it would work like crazy here or you know so I think it's it's a good good uh, good thing to try yeah, I mean there's there's never been more resources available for people to learn free resources at yeah. that um, but I you know I also think that these early stage startups if they're going to hire somebody junior and give them their shot you know it would make sense to also bring on an advisor somebody who's you know been there done that before and can kind of mentor and guide and coach that head of sales, you know, maybe through the first three, six, nine, 12 months of the process. Yeah. Um, and that's another way to kind of augment, you know, the hire and make sure that they, that they succeed a little bit, you know? Yeah. Did you know, I, I heard you just say that um, there's kind of more demand than, than supply for heads of sales in Berlin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did you know that like four years ago, I came this close to moving to Berlin and, and taking the VP of, sales job in Berlin. Did I tell yeah, you that? I think you told me something like, can we yeah. name the company or we're not allowed to say what uh, I probably shouldn't name, yeah. probably okay. shouldn't name the company. Um, but I did a lot of work for them for, for quite a while. So yeah. if somebody was an astute investigator, they could look at my, my website, scottleesconsulting.com, or they could go to my LinkedIn profile and, and figure it out. But, um, yeah, I came, came this close. My, my, my kids were actually really disappointed that we didn't be yeah. there. We're like a huge soccer family and my kids were just like, you know, I want to, we, we should go there. My, my youngest son is even now like always talking about it. So. And so, so why didn't you get the job? What, what was the reason that didn't get you to, to come there? Well, I got offered the job. I yeah. just decided not to, to take it. I got, I got offered something that I felt like um, was a little more lucrative, uh, was a little less um, less disruptive to, to our life. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's a big move, right? It's a huge move, yeah. US and go to, go to Berlin. And my, my kids are 12 and 10 years old. So they would have been eight and, and four at the yeah. time. Um, 
you know, it's kind of intimidating to rep, you know, recreate all the network that you need and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was really close, you know, I, I, I really, I really truly was. I, I've been to Germany many times and um, really like it and everything. I, I think that at some point I'm going to end up in Europe uh, at least for extended periods of time. I'll yeah. be in Scandinavia for the whole month of July, like on tour going to Oslo and Helsinki and Stockholm and Malmo and Copenhagen. Nice. Um, it's for holiday or are you going to just like, uh, it's, uh, a, little bit of it's yeah. a little bit of both. It, it's holiday, but like I'm, I'm creating some events at each yeah. particular stop to try to, you know, just help the, the, sales community and the, and the startup oh, community. We should do an event together then. I'm really more than happy to help in Copenhagen or a bunch of people. And uh, so we should really do something Perfect. together. It would be really nice. Perfect. Yeah. I will, I'll yeah. hit you up offline about how yeah. we might be able to pull some of this stuff off. Yeah. yeah. But you're, not, we, you're certainly not too far from Copenhagen. It's, it's super close, you know, like uh, from, from Berlin. So it's uh, very yeah. easy to, to, and there's like a really cool community there. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a really cool place, especially in July. It's amazing there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. And um, are you like, are you the, this, this uh, American type that comes to Germany, rent uh, uh, like a power food car and just go crazy on the highway? Because no. uh, I don't no, know I'm people like that. No, I'm absolutely the opposite of that. Like I, I come, I come to Germany or anywhere in Europe and I'm like, thank fucking God there's trains everywhere. Yeah. So I don't have to drive, you know? And all I think of is, is how, how ridiculous America is that we have freeways and cars everywhere yeah. and we don't have this elaborate high-speed railway. So I, I get on the Eurorail trains and everything and I'm just like kick back and relax <laughs> with, my, yeah. with my book and my cocktail and I'm like, this is, this is perfect. <laughs> so no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not one of the Americans on the Autobahn that you're cursing yeah. at. Yeah. American driving crazy. No, that's not me. So, you know, in the, my, my fiance, she won President's Club. So we're going to go to Costa Rica in, uh, in uh, April. And nice. um, every time I go, so it's like mostly guys from the US and they're like, oh, you're German. So, and they say, oh, are you going on the highway and just like going crazy? It's like, no, man. It's just like, it's great, but it's nothing special when you're, you know, it's, it's just a highway. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's very fun to, um, to, to see that. So I always get asked the same question and uh, it's, it's quite fun. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> Good. So I think we're we like nearing the, the end of the uh, our time slot. So now is the time where you can plug anything you want to plug. Uh, you deserved it. So is there any kind of book, event, anything you're doing where you want to, you know, like just want to talk about and and. Well, I'd, I'd I'd love if if people checked out, um, you know, my first book. The, the book is called Addicted to the Process. Yeah. Um, I really wrote it specifically for people who are just getting into sales for the first time and you know it, i define my my sales methodology and process in there and uh talk about the mindset required to succeed so i think that would be a really good resource yeah. um for people who are at that stage of their career and, and a good refresher and reminder for people who are maybe more experienced than that yeah um and check out surfandsales.com you know if, if you're looking for a president's club trip for, you know, your, your sales organization, or you're looking for a personal development, um, you know, journey and, and want to kind of combine a vacation as well as, as a learning opportunity, you know, there, there might be, um, you know, a place for you with what, with what we do. Um, yeah. and stay tuned later this year, I'll be releasing my second book and my second book is 
all about the journey and life cycle and experience of a VP of sales. So nice. um, we'll go really in depth on, um, you know, one of the questions that you asked me earlier today. Good. I'll add that to the link to the episode description. So um, the, the book Addicted to the Process, uh, it's, you can find it on Amazon already. Like yeah, I'm going to put the link. Super good book, actually. I'm reading it and the surfing sales. You get the podcast. I'm going to put a lot of uh, resources there. And it's also self-published, right? The, the book. So I yeah. checked. I was like, who's the publisher? And it's, it's like Scott Lee's consulting. So it's like, he's self-published, <laughs> which yeah. is really cool. It's a lot of work. So uh, yeah, good. Good. Thanks. And uh, so where can people get in touch with you? Uh, if they have questions, where can they find yeah, you? The, the, the best place to uh, contact me is either on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Um, I respond to anybody who, you know, writes me a nice message. Um, and you can learn more about me and what I do in my business at scottleesconsulting.com. You know, if you're looking for help with your company and in, in sales and sales process and messaging and methodology or even recruiting, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to lend a hand there. So those are the two best ways to uh, get in touch with me. Okay, sweet. Perfect. Uh, good. So um, thanks so much, Scott, for coming. That was really a cool conversation. And uh, I guess we'll, uh, we'll see each other uh, when you come in July in Europe. Yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks.